You're listening to a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries from their 2021 Couples Getaway. Today, session two of the theme, Putting on the Armor of God in Your Marriage, The Armor of God and How to Use It. Don and Becky Smith, co-founders of Bridge to Life, are your teachers. Let's finally get to the equipment here. And, and what I, I want you to uh, see is uh, on page um, uh, nine, armor uh, was the way that we apply uh, the word of God. But uh, what I understand from reading this portion here about uh, becoming strong is, um, and the need for the armor, is the Word of God is the thing that empowers us and that we need to be aware of. There's, there's two um, questions on page 10 that I think are important. Um, let's look at the examples in the top of page 10 there. And it says that the belief, uh, this is from Ephesians 4, but it says, that uh, unresolved anger and bitterness in their lives left an opportunity for Satan to get a foothold in uh, and destroy the relationship. And um, so it, it's important if we do not become armed, Satan uh, will destroy us. And, and if I can just simply say, I, I think it behooves us to take and say, I want to search carefully in my life and in my marriage relationship, is there anything that Satan can take advantage of? Where have we allowed things to creep in and settle for them or think they're not too serious and uh, we need to um, really take inventory? The, the other example here I came up with is that is um, uh, Peter um, was taken advantage by Satan. And uh, Peter's pride was kind of like, Lord, I'll follow you even to death and I'll do this and that for you. And uh, Jesus says, you'll deny me three times. No, I won't. Maybe some others will, but I'm not. And lo and behold, uh, his arrogance, his pride, I think, got in the way. And, uh, and it says that Satan asked permission to use Peter. And, and God gave Satan permission to do that. And so I, I think there's times in our life, just like with Job, where God gives Satan permission to um, afflict us or to cause issues. Um, and sometimes I wonder with uh, my numerous health issues, if God has said to Satan, you have permission to, to um, uh, inflict uh, problems. Um, I wish God would change his mind if that's the case. But, um, and another one is uh, King David David's pride got in the way, and remember, he wanted to count. He thought he was doing pretty good, and he wanted to count how many of uh, the people, the soldiers and such he had, and um, God said, uh, you're not to count them, and he does, and as a result of that, 20,000 of his men die uh, because of his, his pride, and so Satan has clever ways of just getting us to uh, look at things, but... Um, I want to look at the term here. It starts off by saying, be strong in the Lord. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Uh, first of all, it has the meaning of it's not we who are strong. It God, it's God who gives us the strength. 
So it's not me trying to say, okay, I'm going to be strong here and I'm really going to face these things. But it's a result of saturating myself with God's word that empowers me to be strong. So it's not a self-trying-harder type thing. But I think there's two questions that are really uh, powerful. And um, I, I got these questions from J.D. Uh, Gear. Um, and uh, the first one is, um, to be strong, um, where do you feel strong right now? If you were to look at your personal life or look at your marriage relationship, where do you feel strong? And you might see that as a, a plus in the sense of, yeah, I'm, we're pretty good in this and that. Um, what what uh, J.D. Uh, said was... Uh, where you are strong uh, is probably a place where Satan can easily attack because we're relying on our own resources. Lord, I got this part. I'm pretty good in self-confidence. I'm pretty good at uh, fill in the blank. And when our arrogance gets in the way, it sets us up for Satan to attack even more. Um, and so... Um, Basically, uh, just a few thoughts here. Um, when we think uh, we're good enough, which a lot of us want to feel strong, we want to feel good, I, I don't think it's wrong to want that, but when we rely on that, um, it, it causes dangers. And I, I think a lot of us are, uh, I'm going to use a term that might not be well settled, but um, I think a lot of us are self-righteous. Uh, we think we're pretty good. Uh, we don't like anybody um, pointing things out about what's wrong with us because it makes us look. Uh, I, mean, I mean, we're so committed to our pride and, and to being good enough and be accepted. Uh, I watched a video clip. I was thinking about uh, playing it, but wasn't sure how to download it and get it on here. But um, it's by Paul Tripp. And he, his comments were basically this, is that one of the dangers is, is us as Christians is our self-righteousness. We think we have it together. We think we're doing pretty good. And uh, basically, we're, we're pretty arrogant. And he said it's all about self. We're, uh, we're, we're selfish people to the core. And um, I think when we're selfish, it is a... Um, it's a false self in the sense that we're relying on us and not God. So um, I, I think um, being um, strong stops us from accepting the strength of, of God that he has to offer because we're relying on our strength instead of his. So the next question that's asked here is, where do you feel the weakest right now? Um, personally, uh, where do you really struggle in your own personal life, whether it has to do with your self-worth, uh, about how you handle things, how you react, being angry, uh, fill in the blank. But where do you feel the weakest? And you might say, well, that's the area where probably um, Satan would attack. Well, yes, he could. But also take the reverse of that. That's a place where you can learn to trust God uh, because you have no strength. We need to be willing to take an honest inventory of 
what our weaknesses are. I find it interesting in counseling many times where if I bring up something where someone struggles, they get defensive. There, there's a guy not too long ago, um, just recently in counseling, and his comment is this, is, is Don, uh, when are you going to stop pointing out the wrong things and give us some positive things in our marriage relationship that we can get along fine? And I said, well, the problem is the negative things are stopping you from moving forward into the positive things. If you don't look at those, how are you going to move forward? Yeah, but every time we come, it's always another problem. Well, get rid of the problems then. But, you know, it's, it's like we don't want to look at that. We don't want to see where we're weak. Um, it's interesting. I think when we get most defensive, whatever that's about, it shows that's where our weakness is. And if you, if you said to Don, to me, Don, you know, you're, you're struggling with this, you, do, you did that, this or that, um, I can get defensive and like, well, who do you think you are or something like that? When in the sense of, yeah, that's probably where my weakness is. That's where my struggle and fear is. So um, the, the verse in Isaiah there says, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. So do you see the weakness there? In our weakness, he gives the power. Even youth grows tired and weary, and the young man, uh, men stumble and fall. And here's the next point. And those who hope in the Lord... So it's not in our own strength, but it's our hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And so uh, it's God is saying, those who are weak and weary, come to me. I'm your strength. I'm the one. And yet somehow we try to be so self-confident and so uh, committed to trying harder. One of the things I, I think we do in Christian circles is we're always looking for ways to be more successful, more whatever. And uh, I think a lot of it's fake. I think of a lot of it's as, you know, reading the self-improvement books and things are just ways to help you make your life work better instead of depend on God. Uh, a comment that um, uh, I uh, use quite often is this, is I think we've learned to live lives that require very little or any of the resources of Christ. I can get this. I can do this. Where, where in your personal life can you identify, I cannot make it without Christ here? Versus, well, I'll, I'll work on that and I'll get better at it. And so I, I think God glories in our weakness because that's where he can show himself strong. And we'll see a verse in a minute here. So going back to the notes, we, bottom of page 10. We must be convinced of our weakness because God gives us his righteousness. When we feel strong in our own sense of righteousness, we do not feel like we need Christ's righteousness or God's righteousness. If It keeps us from looking to God for his righteousness. And so I know this is going to be contrary to probably what you would hear most places, but I would say I think a habit we should be continually pursuing is where am I weak? Um, because this is an opportunity for God to work and to, to show himself strong on my behalf and depend on him. It is only where we sense, <clears throat> only sense our weakness can we be strong in the Lord. So <clears throat> I want to look on page 11 
there. Um, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Remember, Paul has a thorn and uh, he prays that it uh, would go away. And so I'm going to read this here for a moment. And uh, I want you to see how Paul deals with his weakness, which is, I think, is what uh, uh, this is all about. To me, uh, to keep me from uh, becoming conceited because of these uh, surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away, uh, take it away from me. But each time he he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness. See that? He boasts about his weakness. Who would like to stand up and, sh- and proudly share your weaknesses today? <laughs> Anybody want to stand up and share their strengths? Now we got some people. I mean, you, you see the difference here? Paul is saying, I, I'm, here's where I'm weak, which we just don't see that in the Christian circle. <clears throat> so that Christ's power may rest on me. Uh, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And if we can just allow that truth to saturate us and just say, it's okay to look at where I struggle and what's, um, where I feel inferior or not good enough, um, that's, that's where we can be the strongest in Christ's strength. So you notice if you, uh, it says, be strong and put on the armor of God. The word to put on the armor of God here has the idea of <clears throat> actively doing something. In other words, it's a process we, we need to do. Um, one uh, person in reading said uh, there's a taking off of the old clothing <clears throat> to put on the armor. And I think sometimes we have old clothing we, we, that, are, that stinks, probably needs uh, uh, <clears throat> laundered. But my point is, uh, there's, to put on the armor of God really me- means removing those things we hang on to for our security, for making us okay. Um, and I think for some of us, it's, we're just, it's comfortable to live the old way. Uh, we're used to it. Uh, so I'm going to say something here that uh, I'm going to share a weakness, okay? Um, and now all of you are going to look through the next day or two. But uh, if you look at my shoes, um, they are falling apart, okay? Especially the one on my right foot. Uh, it's got holes in the sides and uh, Becky gets upset with me for wearing them, um, uh, literally, I have a, a nice new pair in the car, uh, and I like keeping them nice in the car. Um, but uh, why do I why do I wear these? They're comfortable. the The new ones are just stiff and such, and, and these I can slip on and off easy. The other ones I have to pry my foot into it. These are holy holy shoes, yes. And so, uh, but you know what? Should I get rid of them? Yeah, uh, but. I hang on to them because they're comfortable. And I think sometimes there's things we hold on to because we're just comfortable. We don't want to make the changes. It's going to require 
more work, and it's going to be painful and such, but I, I, I think what Paul is saying here is take off those things and put on uh, the armor of God that uh, we need here. And so putting on the armor of God means that we recognize our weaknesses in an area and we put on his strength. So with that, let's um, uh, start looking at the armor. I, I wanted to put this quote up here from Billy Graham. Uh, Don't think of Satan as a harmless cartoon character with a red uh, suit and a pitchfork. He is very clever and powerful. His his unchanging purpose is to defeat God's plan uh, at uh, every turn, including his plans for your life. In other words, he's up to getting us. Uh, it's, it's not a fantasy. It's not a cartoon. We're in serious business here. So we're going to look at um, the armor here. If I can uh, back up. I, I got pulled some pictures off of the Internet here. I don't think this is a proper picture of what the belt looks like. Uh, I know they got a belt there. But um, literally, it's more of a girdle than a belt uh, is what is being described here. But let's go back and look at it. So uh, I'm going to ask Becky, when it comes to describing the armor, would you read um, that there for the belt, please? Your core is the area around your trunk and pelvis comprised of the abdominal muscle groups. It's the central leak in the chain that connects the lower and upper parts of your body, enabling all your limbs and movements to work together in harmony. You want me to go on? Yeah, go ahead. Literally says, stand, having girded your loins. A Roman soldier girded his loins with something more akin to a girdle than a belt. Made of leather, it was made to reach around the torso and provide essential support while he performed the quick, demanding movement of war. As with the soldier, the purpose of all this girding was to get moving and avoid falling, to experience freedom of movement. Restricting the tunic, released and freed the feet. All right. So it, it was kind of a, a probably a larger thing that uh, he had around him. And what's interesting is uh, the way that Paul describes the armor of God is exactly the same way that the soldier would put this equipment on. So we're looking at it in a sense of if he's getting dressed, the first thing he puts on is this girdle. And um, so what, what is a girdle? What, what's going on here? Uh, it was interesting to me in reading different sources, there was kind of different views um, that if you do some research on the internet, you're going to find gobs of different ideas on the armor of God. Some are really crappy. Um, I just like, I can't believe they would say something like that. It's just trivial. And, and others really put some thought and work into it. And uh, so it was hard sometimes to just say, what are some of the convictions? So I'm going to show you uh, it, with the next, uh, uh, well, with this one. So how do you begin to understand what that piece of armor is? And what I want to say is you go with, it says the belt. The belt isn't the important part. When you're looking at the armor, the, what's really more important is the second word, the truth. And you'll see that with each one, like the breastplate of uh, righteousness. The key word is righteousness. 
And so as we go through this, we're really focusing on what is Paul trying to communicate, and he's using the belt as a symbol to express that, and these are the things we should be putting on. And so, um, so basically, the belt of truth is embracing the convictions of who God is and uh, who he is to us. Um, it's the very core of my convictions that I am going to take and depend on uh, God's word and that is going to be the very source of me and it's going to affect every area of my life. So my question simply is here, is, is do we hold fast to that God's word is the truth and that's what we have to stand on? Or is it something convenient like, yeah, I'll dust off my Bible uh, come Sunday again and find it. Um, when do we open it? When do we... Do we really believe that God's word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? And uh, if we don't have that conviction, then we have nothing to stand on. And we live our lives based on the influences and feelings that we experience here. And so uh, daily allow God to help us align uh, our decisions, our responses, our attitudes, our ambitions, according to God's truth. In other words, I'm going to build my life on Christ or on God's word here. Um, there was a, a couple uh, authors said something like this, which I kind of liked. So I'm going to twist it just a little bit here. I'm not sure if Paul meant it quite this way, but I think it fits in that um, who I am in Christ has to be the foundation of living my life. In other words, I, I think I need, I would say most of us struggle in some way as to our self-image, into feeling competent, feeling valued, feeling loved, feeling secure. Uh, we, we struggle in some way in some of these uh, very personal ways. And I believe what the verse is talking about is that I am allowing the truth of God to take and, and deal with those areas where I struggle deeply as to my worth. That it comes from Christ, not from me trying harder or what people think of me. Uh, I, I remember when I was um, younger and I, I definitely knew I wanted to go into ministry. I just wasn't sure how or what that would look like. And I uh, went to Bible college um, and um, it's a long story, but anyhow, I um, had a motorcycle accident that kind of th took me out of um, Bible college. Um, I was considered disabled at the time. The state of Kansas paid for me to go for re rehabilitation, and they would pay my way to go to business college. So I went to business college, uh, finished that, uh, worked in a, a business office for a couple years. During that time, Becky and I got married, and I just still had that longing that I want to serve God. I, I don't want to work in an office, just doing numbers and running the office. And so uh, we decided to go back to Montana, or go to Montana, where there was a Bible college that was considered um, uh, well-known for discipleship, where the instructors, it wasn't just a class, but they took a personal interest in you and would help you in your walk with the Lord and studies. And so that sounded attractive to me. And so we went up there. But as was finishing um, my degree there, 
Uh, like, how am I going to serve God? And I said, Lord, I, I don't think I can be a pastor. Because you have to get up, at least you're supposed to, and, and preach things that people don't want to hear. And I'm very sensitive to what people think about me, okay? And I don't want anybody thinking bad of me. And so I don't think I can be a pastor. And so, Lord, what else can I be? And um, I thought, well, a youth, youth pastor, they kind of have fun, I think. And so maybe I could be one of those, but I'm not very, I don't relate to youth very well, okay? And so didn't think I'd last long at that job. And, uh, and so God just kind of directed. We, I graduated. I was offered a job in Muskegon with Gospel Films. That's ministry. I, I don't know, Lord, but you seem to be opening that door. But here's the point. I didn't want to go in an area of ministry where people could think bad of me. And lo and behold, I'm doing counseling, and every hour they think bad of you, you know? <laughs> Lord, Lord, you know, it's like, and I have to say things to people that they don't want to hear. And some of you who have counseled with me, you know I'm very gracious, and there's a reason I'm gracious, because I'm trying to say the truth very nicely so you don't get mad at me. I remember the first time someone uh, walked out of a counseling session. They weren't happy. It's happened only a few times where someone's got up and walked out. I was literally sick. I went home sick. I canceled the rest of my appointments for the day. I can't do this because my worth was based on what people think of me. And that's one of my weaknesses, okay? And that's where I, I need God's truth. And, and so can I take and understand God's word in such a way that allows me to even deal with my incompetency, my wanting to be liked and such. Um, and if someone says something negative, I just, I dwell on that. I, I shouldn't, but it's so easy to go there. And, and we all have that Achilles heel, if I could say it that way, that thing that just tends to bite us and get us and get us off track. And so uh, with that, um, on uh, application to, um, on bottom page 12, application for our marriage here, um, it's only when we saturate ourselves with the word of God that we can really be able to know what's right and wrong and, and to address these issues that are going on inside of us. And so I think there's two ways that Satan attack us so we don't take advantage of the truth and apply it to our lives. And the first one is that uh, Satan tries to get us to doubt um, God's word. Um, we can read it, but eh, does it really work? Or uh, I'd rather do it my way. Uh, there, there's just um, lies that Satan plants on us that, that those things control our lives instead of the truth of God's word. And so we, we doubt God's word so many times. I wonder what it would be like if we really took God at his word, how our lives would be different. Second is here is Satan wants us to neglect God's word. I like the verse in 1 Peter, it says, therefore prepare. And uh, when I looked it up, the word prepare means to gird, put on the girdle, okay? Like the armor of God here. But he says, gird your minds for action, be self-controlled, 
Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. And so we're, we're to gird up and to put to use the word of God and to apply it to our lives. But here's the problem. Few of us do it. There's, um, there's um, an excuse I hear sometimes. I've used it, so I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just too busy. Or I have poor habits. It's not about poor habits. It's, I think it has to do with, do I really believe the word of God? Do I really believe that God loves me and, and he cares about me and he wants to guide me? If I really believe that more, I think that would motivate me to be in God's word more. Um, so uh, J.D. Gears um, gave this example. So it's from him, but I think it's a powerful one because I can't forget it. Um, he said, uh, and I can't remember, there's a, there's a famous atheist that exists today. I can't remember his name, but it doesn't matter. But um, if, if he were to come and he were to be before us and he were to say, I will give anyone $3 million if you never read God's word again, if you never share it with anybody, if you don't read it to your children, in other words, you have nothing to do with the word of God, I'll give you $3 million. How many of you would take him up on that? You wouldn't. Or I hope you wouldn't admit it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you consider it. But here's what uh, J.D. Gear said. We would turn down Satan's offer, but we still do that exact thing. We don't get into God's word. We, 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 we don't study it. We don't share it with our children. Uh, if there's a, a, a thing that I'm deeply sad and convicted about, I didn't share the word of God much with my children. I think I left it up to the church and the youth group. I was busy in ministry. I kind of thought Becky would take care of that. And, um, and I, I think I failed miserably in stealing more truth in my kids' lives. And somehow I just figured if they live in a uh, Christian home and we pray for meals and, and yeah, and when they were young we did Bible stories and such, but my point is I don't think I prepared them for life. One of the things that God has convicted me of is um, as I'm getting older here um, to pass down a legacy to my kids and my grandkids. And so uh, I'm beginning, uh, to, our kids don't know it, there's two of them here, uh, but, um, um, but to write down things that God has taught me about God and my walk with the Lord so that they can see that and read that. Because I believe there's going to be a time, and I'm especially scared for my grandchildren, that what the future is like and what Christianity is going to be like in the sense of I think it's, 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 we're not going to be able to enjoy it the way we do now. And I want them to know that there's a basis for their convictions to trust in God. And that their grandpa did that. And um, what do you have to pass down? 
And so my point is, Satan's already got us. We're not reading the word, and we're not memorizing it, and we're too busy, and all this. And so you don't even get $3 million, and you're still doing it, okay? Um, and I think there has to be a deeper conviction here as to, is the word of God powerful, and is that what we're building our life on? So let's go to the next one. Um, yeah, I, I hit that, so... Um, Let's look at the breastplate of uh, righteousness. And uh, let me just show you a picture here that I found. Um, so it, it, it protected the vital organs and such. Um, but um, Beck, if you want to read that description, please. The breastplate was a metal shield, usually bronze, worn over the midsection from the neck to the thighs. During Paul's era, the typical Roman legionary wore this protective piece of equipment over a leather sheath-like garment. The purpose of all these layers was to guard the vital organs, particularly the heart. In case of a direct hit to the soldier's upper body, wearing the breastplate could mean the difference between life and death. And so it protects the vital organs here. So let's just kind of look at it here as to... Um, its function, uh, how we can use it here. Uh, the verse in Ephesians um, 4 says here, righteousness, um, in righteousness is basically right living. Uh, give you an example. In our men's uh, study, the uh, Master Craftsman talked about righteousness a little bit. And in doing some research, righteousness was established for a, a village or for a community. And so what was righteousness for that village? It was what the community took and said, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. Every, every society has righteousness in the sense of here's what's right to do, here's what's wrong to do. Well, with God, God's rightness is what we want to pursue. So when we talk about righteousness, it's not some big spiritual confusing term. It's whatever is right with God. And that's what we're pursuing. So when we say pursue righteousness, pursue what's right with God is, is basically what we're saying. So Paul is saying here in Ephesians, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So we're, we're to pursue the righteousness because that's what we've been called to. So the, the breastplate protects the vital organs because, um, uh, as you know, uh, if those organs are messed up, you're pretty well done. Particularly, what is the most vital organ, which is the heart? And I believe Satan is out for our heart because that's the core that, that um, uh, affects us here. I think of the verse in Proverbs. It says, above all things, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And uh, have you even thought about guarding your heart? What does that look like? And um, it, it says, uh, because everything comes out of our heart, and so if we're not careful what comes in and affects our heart and, and um, what's going on, um, it's going to be fatal. So the breastplate here, two points, uh, it means we put on God's righteousness, or what is right with God, which is doing what God sees is, as right. So I think we got that understanding. Second is, we begin to feel the same way God feels about evil. Now, this one really hit me. It's one thing to know 
what God knows is right and wrong. And, and I, I think we could say, here's a list of the Ten Commandments and other things in the New Testament as to what's right and wrong. We'd all agree. But do we feel the same way about it as God does? About righteousness and, and um, justice. And so in doing that, I learned something in the study that I never saw before. Did you know that God himself put on the breastplate of righteousness? I thought it was just us. So, um, down at the bottom of the page, um, well, let me read the verse before that, number two here. Uh, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the the hand of the wicked. We go to um, Isaiah, and the children of Israel were living not right. A lot of injustice. They were, they were stealing. They were, lo- they were moving land markers to expand their property. They were cheating people. Uh, when they would weigh um, the talents or the different things, um, they literally would have weights that were not correct so that they could get a little more money or exchange. Uh, I just read an article um, uh, out of the biblical archaeology uh, thing where in a certain city in Israel just uh, here recently, they found two of those wrong weights uh, in their research stuff and, and in excavation. And uh, in other words, they were cheating all the time. And, and so, and they weren't even treating the widows right and they were out for themselves and gorging themselves. And Jesus, or Jesus, God just is, is He's fed up with their way of living. And so, uh, Becky, would you read that, uh, the verses at the bottom of the page there, and then I want to point a few things out. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw there w- that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness has sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the help, helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So I want you just to, when I, um, when I look at a verse, I underline the important words or the phrases that's trying to be communicated. Uh, One of the things I learned in Bible college, um, I don't use it all the time, but sometimes it really helps me, is is break down your verse in an outline form. What are the important things that he's trying to make? If you just read in a sentence, you you miss things. So, but he says, um, there no, um, truth could be found nowhere. And, and God looked, or the Lord looked, and was displeased because there was no justice. The key word is justice. And so God says here, and, and what, what's sad is, um, he, there, he say, it says there, there was no one to intervene. So I just wonder, as, as God looks at our group here, would there be anyone, if there was injustice, would anyone of us, be convicted to do something about it. Now, I think we'd sit here and have a committee and talk about it, and let's fund it, 
let's take an offering for it. That's good. But I'm simply saying, I just find it amazing. God couldn't find somebody. And I wonder if he would find someone now. And we would, I, I would want to say, I would be one. I'll just share a really warped idea with you um, here. But uh, you know how I want to die? I want my head cut off. Okay? I, I think this scene, remember a couple of years or so ago where they took the Christians in Egypt along the beach and they lined them up there because they professed to be Christians, the Egyptian, whatever, uh, Christians. And, um, and because of their belief, they cut their heads off. Um, I think that'd be a wonderful way to die. Here's why. Because I want my life, my death to mean something. I wanted to make a statement. I don't want to die in bed like, yeah, he fell asleep in his sleep. Or, uh, you know, he, fell, he, he died in his sleep. I, I do fall asleep when I sleep. But, um, but you know what? I, I, I want my death to make a statement that he stood for God. It says that when the Christians were lined up on the beach there, they were singing hymns. Wow. I think that's amazing. And, uh, you know, and we just live our lives with such comfort. And I don't want anything bad to happen to me. Heck, when they cut off your head, you don't suffer. My, my brother-in-law, uh, Chuck, passed away two weeks ago. And, you know, he just deteriorated away until he couldn't do anything. And, uh, well, you know what it's like when someone's strength is gone because of cancer. What a way to go. I, I think that's sad and suffering. I want to go quick. Cut my head off. Let's get this over with, you know, if I'm going to die. Um, but my point is, is uh, I want to stand for justice. But the one thing that he did do is the night that he died, they were singing praise and worship. He was raising his hands. They can't hear you. Okay. Uh, Becky was just, <laughs> Becky was saying, um, my sister shared that um, uh, he was kind of in and out. But the day uh, he died that evening about 825. But during the day, uh, some of the family came. And uh, a minister came, played the guitar, sang songs, and he was as uh, alert and alive, and he was singing and asked them to sing more songs. And uh, as they were singing, he kept pointing to heaven and saying, you know, it's up there. And, uh, and I mean, he, he died gloriously, and they left. And uh, a couple hours later, uh, he fell asleep. He, he died in his sleep there. Um, and, um, but uh, he was very much aware of where he was going. And uh, do we have that conviction? But what, what I want to point out here is, uh, since God didn't see justice taking place, he says, I will take it up. So flip over to the other page there, just some notes quickly here. Um, uh, God saw injustice and the children of Israel and was displeased with it. Third point down, when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we begin to feel what God feels when he sees injustice. Another, it's not just knowing it, but it's experiencing it. Where do I take and feel the same way about things as God feels? First, the only way you can find out is by reading his word. And when you hear God's heart you, you begin to say, I, I want the same heart. I want to feel about things the same way. This is how God motivates us to go into the world and engage in warfare, is when we feel passionately about things that God does, we want to move forward. We want to do those things. 
Some of you have probably been touched by something, uh, maybe someone with cancer, someone with some struggle, and you say, I want to get behind that cause. We want to promote helping people with this problem or that. It's because you, you, you felt the same way as the cause you're, you're concerned about. So application for our marriage here. Um, uh, two points. When we see the situations of injustice, poverty, and suffering, are we moved to do something about it? Um, when you see something not, isn't right, are you touched at all by it? Do you do something? Or do you just sit back and say, man, we should pray for them. Yeah, we should pray for them, but um, we, sh we should be taking action. And, when, and how um, have we become complacent to the point that we are not moved by the things of God? I, I just have to say, you know what? I don't think I'm close to understanding God's heart and to be compassionate about things that he does. I'm trying. But um, I, I think I, I need to understand it more. I need to be more aware of what God is compassionate about. And so my question, simply in your marriage relationship, where are you seeing injustice? In your marriage, in your personal life, in your family, in your community, where you're going to say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will take and stand for justice, and we're going to do something about it. Instead of just nitpicking each other and tolerating each other, and we go on day after day doing those, these things, Instead of saying, we're going to stop this. Satan is having a heyday here. And uh, we're not going to let him. And we're going to stand for justice. We're going to fight for one another. We're going to have each other's back as we uh, move forward. Last one before we take our break here. It's uh, the shoes. And these aren't exactly the shoes that were described for the soldiers back then. But as close as I could come up with. Beck, would you like to read that, please? Roman, sol Roman soldiers wore heavy military sandals called caliga, half boot and half sandal. The upper were pierced with openwork designs which gave good ventilation. The many straps allowed adjustment to fit the peculiarities of an individual's foot whilst parts of the boot that might rub were cut away. The soles were made of leather with metal studs to provide a firm grip on the sole. Sole, not soil. <laughs> this helped the soldier stay sure-footed and stable when holding his ground of advancing an enemy. All right, thank you. So in Ephesians it says, uh, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So again, if we, uh, so if we go with the definition here, we're talking about shoes that are readiness of the gospel. What are we talking about here? Um, and I, I'm sharing a few thoughts, pulling together what different ones kind of search. But one, one is unity. Because if they had good shoes on, and remember they have these studs on the bottom so that they can have traction and, and not slip and slide. And so when they're fighting a battle, they, they can't be falling down and such. They got to uh, be united together. They would put their shields together in a certain form. And in reading some of it, one of the reasons why the Roman army was probably the most powerful and effective is because they were trained well to work together. 
with how they placed their shields and, and, and how they moved forward and with have, being well-equipped with good shoes and such. Um, they were well-equipped. And, and so unity and working together was key to their uh, success here. And so um, they, um, so application here, or just kind of uh, what are we talking about in putting these to use is um, are, are, are we committed to uh, being united so that we can be effective? And I would say a lot of families are disjointed. In fact, they stay in their bedrooms or on the couch or something, on their phone or iPad or something rather, and everybody's just doing their own little thing. And, and no, I, I think we should have, there's only certain hours or times, and I'm not trying to run your home, but let me do it anyhow, um, but where we use those things and where we don't. Uh, it's not allowed at the supper time. Um, if you're familiar with those of you from uh, Muskegon area, there's an Italian restaurant called um, Salvatore. It used to be Salvatore's on the lake, but um, Teddy's Spaghetti now. And we like their uh, um, Ted Trinilia, Italian. He used to uh, serve on our board and, and a dear godly couple. But uh, one of the things he would always say, is uh, for the Italians, uh, we eat together. That's our best time together because that's when we talk. That's when we engage. And, and usually they're kind of loud and such, but, uh, but he said that's our bonding time. If we're involved in iPads and different things and such, um, man, we're robbing ourselves of being united. And you go to a restaurant and, and Becky and I are just as guilty, but um, the couple's sitting there just reading their iPhones, you know, and, and um, we're not engaging like we used to, and I think it affects our unity. And, and so is there anything in our family and with our kids and such that uh, hinders the unity that uh, we're to have? Uh, the, the next point here, um, peaceful relationship. Um, uh, Satan attacks often involve stirring up turmoil in our hearts, in relationships, and particularly in our marriage relationship. And so Satan's just good at stirring things up, and we need to be committed. We're going to have peace in our marriage and in our home. Uh, I like this next one, readiness to extend God's righteousness. Um, a couple of the authors talked about that the, um, the shoes here, it says uh, readiness of the gospel. In other words, ready to take action. It's not just believing the word in the sense of, oh, these are some nice ideas, but I'm going to act on them. I'm going to do something. And uh, many times, what are, what are we doing for the kingdom of God? How are we making a difference? How are we sharing Christ with others? And I'm not saying knock on a door and if you were to die tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? But rather... In my pursuit of loving people, can I guide them? Can I share Christ? Um, I used to be one um, that my, my lifestyle, hopefully I live for Christ in such a way that my lifestyle would lead people to Christ. Uh, I think that sounds really nice, but I think it's wicked. Because the Mormons 
are nice people. And uh, there's no truth there. How do they know you believe in Christ? How do they know what's based on what it means to have a relationship with God? I read a, a book here uh, not too long ago, and it said that probably a lot of people who a lot of people who profess to be Christians are not Christians. He said it a little differently, but I'm just being blunt and quick here. And he said that for this reason that a lot of people who accepted Christ as their Savior did so because they didn't want to go to hell. Do you want to go to hell? No. Okay, I'll I'll say the prayer. But they never learned what it meant to have a relationship with God. What God has done for them on their behalf and what it means to be redeemed and, and to have a relationship. They have no clue, except I'm not going to hell. That's not being born again. Um, and and I, I think that's why we have a lot of Christians who are not living Christian lives. Because they have no idea what that means. And, and so my, my point is, is can we begin to say that I know what my convictions are and I want to share those with others. I want them to know really who God is. And if you're struggling with that, like I have, um, find a way. Uh, I'll share this. Um, I, I think God has opened up. Um, I don't think we all have to lead, I gotta be careful how I say this. I don't think we all have to lead people to Christ doing all the same thing. I think what God has gifted me doing is when you're working with a hurting person, it opens up an opportunity to share Christ. And so through Bridge Life and the classes we've seen, probably around at least 2,000 people over the years come to know Christ, which that's, that's my style. And, and I would say, what's your style? How is it that you're gifted that you can take and open up uh, and, and share Christ? So how do we apply this? We need to take our break. Um, where, where is there disunity in our marriage? What steps are we willing to take to resolve that? We've we got to do something about it. We cannot continue the disunity. It opens up Satan to work. And how can you use our marriage to advance the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Um, I don't want my, way, my marriage wasted. And so we're going to take action. We're going to do things. And, and I, I, I will just simply say this, and I don't mean it arrogantly, but I'm so thankful that Becky shares the same heart. We share the same heart that we want to use our lives to share Christ, you know, through Bridged Life and other to affect your lives. And that's what we're committed to. Um, I'm getting close to retirement. I'll be 60 in a month or two. 60, yeah. 60 plus. So 60 plus. No, I'm, I'm 71. But, um, but here's the point. I, I'm looking at, with Bridge Life, we're talking about what does it look like for Don to make a transition, someone else begin to take over Bridge Life. and So we're looking like at a two-year process here. But... Um, I don't want to quit what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. E even if I didn't get paid for it, I would say, how can I volunteer and help and do this? Because I want my life to count. I think we're in our prime years. And so don't, don't for those of you who are older, you got a lot to offer. Um, in fact, you have more, because you don't have little kids 
getting away. Becky and I don't have a dog right now. We've had dogs because of kids, but um, we don't have a dog right now because it's going to mess us up ministry-wise. We, we got to run home then during the day and let the dog out. And, and when we make a weekend like this, someone's got to take care of the dog. And it's like, it's a distraction. Uh, on the way up here, Becky said, but it'd sure be nice to have a dog. Uh, and yeah, when we're done. But I will probably die doing this. So I don't know if we'll get a dog. But, um, but anyhow, uh, but, you know, are we free to be used? So uh, that's the notes here for this. Let's close um, and uh, take our break, and we'll go straight out in um, pictures. Lord, um, as we think about these things, your Holy Spirit is the one who puts these things in perspective and convicts our hearts. And so prick our, our hearts, I pray, um, and, and do a deeper work. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the 2021 Couples Get Away with the theme this year, putting on the armor of God in your marriage. If you'd like more information, you can go to the website of Bridge to Life. It is www.bridgetolife.org. Or you can call them at 616-846-1051. I'm Mark Moore for Bridge to Life.